0: Elvis, I'll tell you what happened. I had know, man I was one of his arms. I mean, man, I was on his side. He made us feel all right. Last week, we ruled out amphetamines as a direct cause of Elvis Presley's untimely death at the age of 42. Although he was a lifelong user of these dopaminergic drugs, he did not have them in his system at the time of his death. Instead, he had opioids and sedatives, mainly barbiturates and benzos. But did Elvis die of a sedative opioid overdose? Elvis did have a history of drug overdoses. In the four years before his death in 1977, he had four accidental overdoses, mainly on barbiturates, one of which put him in a three-day coma. Opioids and sedatives cause death by stopping respiration, and Elvis's multiple health problems, particularly COPD, put him at greater risk for respiratory suppression but several teams of forensic pathologists have investigated his death, including one by the former president of the American Pathology Association, and their findings point to sudden death from a heart attack, not the slower death of respiratory suppression. The details are a little beyond the scope here. This is a psychiatry podcast, but they have to do with the timing of rigor mortis and cellular changes in the organs.
1: So far, everything points to a heart attack caused by a sudden arrhythmia, something the king was already at risk for because he had an enlarged heart, or hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Stimulant use and poor diet may have worsened his cardiac health, but hypertrophic cardiomyopathy is largely a genetic disorder that follows pretty straightforward Mendelian inheritance. That's a rarity in medicine. It is an autosomal dominant gene, which means you only need to inherit one copy of the gene for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy to develop the disease. We know that Elvis had this gene in the most, well, the most Elvis kind of way. It is a tale of tabloids, barbers, and kissing cousins.
0: Homer Gilliland was Elvis's personal hairstylist for 20 years and collected clumps of the famous black hair. After Elvis's death, Homer gave these strands away to friends and fans. Homer died in 94, but in 2014, one of those friends sold a clump of hair to the tabloidic Dead Famous, a TV show that digs up the DNA sequences of the famous and infamous. From Marilyn Monroe to Adolf Hitler. When they unraveled Elvis's DNA, they found the telltale code for an enlarged heart. Elvis probably inherited this gene from his mother's side. Several people on that side of the family died young, including his mother. Consanguinous marriage may have also played a role. Elvis's maternal grandparents were first cousins, and marriages involving first cousins and closer are about twice as likely to result in congenital heart diseases like hypertrophic cardiomyopathy.
1: Sounds like a solid case. The genetics line up with the coroner's report, death by an arrhythmia caused by a congenital heart disease that enlarged Elvis's heart. But what about Elvis's lifestyle? The daily pounds of bacon and fried sandwiches, and the drug use. Could that have also played a role? And what did his other medical problems play? Elvis had four hospitalizations in the four years before his death for various medical problems, and the list of diagnoses covers nearly every system in the body megalocolon, gastric ulcer, fatty liver, traumatic brain injury, arthritis, herniated discs, hypertension, cardiomyopathy, prostatitis, glaucoma, labyrinthitis, prediabetes, high cholesterol, COPD anti-trypsin deficiency, tooth decay, he did go to the dentist right before his death, and anemia.
0: Presley's doctor is suspected that he suffered from a multi-system disease, but could not find it despite testing. Dr. Forrest Tennant had special access to Elvis's medical history as an expert witness in Presley's wrongful death case, and he believes he has found it. Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, a genetic deficiency of collagen that affects connective tissue throughout the body.
1: Ehlers-Danlos may have led to Presley's rise as well as his fall. Elvis had an unusual ability to hyperextend his joints, allowing him to swivel his hips, bend, and gyrate his legs all at the same time. It was a move that people have rarely seen before or since, but Elvis' mother was known to do the same move in community dances. Remember, Ehlers-Danlos is a genetic disorder of connective tissue, and the primary symptom is loose, hyperextendable joints that often become displaced from their sockets. Ehlers-Danlos may have contributed to Elvis' good looks, according to Dr. Tennant. By interfering with collagen production, the disorder leads to soft, smooth skin. Elvis also had unusually charismatic eyes. They were more spaced apart than average, with a drooping of the eyelid also called ptosis. The overall impression is of a sultry, sexy stare, but it is also a soft sign of Ehlers-Danlos. Elvis's mother had similar facial features. Even Elvis's voice, which covered two octaves with a wide, flexible range of vocal contours, might have been enabled by loosening of the connective tissue within his larynx. Some of Elvis's long list of medical problems could also be explained by Ehlers Danlos arthritis, colonic distension or megacolon, the early onset of glaucoma. That's actually why Elvis wore sunglasses in the 1970s. And the frequent trips to the dentist the king made, Ehlers-Danlos, causes gum disease. Add to that the nonspecific symptoms that often brought Elvis to the doctor, joint pain, fatigue, and headaches. Ehlers-Danlos is linked to higher rates of anxiety and mood disorders, ADHD, and chronic pain which could explain Elvis's opioid use. Dr. Tennant even speculates that the connective tissue disorder allowed Elvis to eat unnaturally large quantities of food by distending his stomach just as it enlarged his colon. But if Elvis had this genetic disorder, why didn't that tabloid TV program discover it when they unrolled his DNA? Well, there are 13 types of Ehlers-Danlos, and the most common form, hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos, has no genetic test. The other 12 types do, although researchers in Charleston at MUSC are closing in on a candidate gene.
0: Another possible contribution to Elvis' death was traumatic brain injury. Elvis had several concussions in his adult life, from various fights and accidents. But one in particular turned things for the worse. In 1967, he fell and hit his head on the bathtub. He lost consciousness and was found with a golf ball-sized bruise on his forehead. Friends and family describe a change in Elvis after the TBI. He cursed more and was difficult to talk to, often going off on obsessive tangents. This is when Elvis developed an obsession with law enforcement, collecting badges from different police precincts, which he used to pull people over on the road, if only just to chat with them. He began to behave in ways that stretched the bounds of acceptability, even for a rock star. A few days before Christmas in 1970, he impulsively boarded a commercial jet with a gun and flew to Washington, D.C., where he wiggled his way into the White House all the while with a loaded gun and offered his services to Nixon in the war on drugs. Nixon gave Elvis what he wanted, a DEA badge, in exchange for a photo op. Maybe you've seen the black and white shot of the perplexed president shaking hands with a dazed Elvis. It is the most requested item from the National Archives. Whether or not these personality changes were due to the head injury, the drug use, the fame, or something else, we don't know. But here's a pearl to take with you Nearly all medical problems worsen after a TBI. The brain does more than host our thoughts, feelings, and behavior. It regulates nearly every organ in the body, from the skin to the immune system. This is probably why chronic psychiatric illnesses and traumatic brain injury both take about 10 years off the lifespan. As the 1970s progressed, Elvis's physical health worsened in lockstep with his mental decline. He was sluggish, slurring his words, forgetting lyrics, and dependent on a cocktail of steroids, amphetamines, barbiturates, and opioids to get through performances. By 1977, Elvis's body was like a building on the verge of collapse, and a toothache may have tipped it over the edge.
1: On the day before his death, Elvis visited the dentist to fill a nagging cavity. After the procedure, he was sent home with a prescription for codeine. Unfortunately, Elvis had an allergy to codeine. A lot of patients report this allergy, and these patients are also at risk for bad reactions to many psych meds as well. Here's why. Codeine is a pro-drug which means it doesn't do anything except cause side effects until it is converted into the active opioid morphine in the liver. That conversion takes place in the P450 system, just like most drug conversions, mainly at the CYP2D6 enzyme, which is, if you've studied drug interactions or ever read a pharmacogenetic panel, you probably recognize this 2D6 as the enzyme that metabolizes many psychiatric medications, including antipsychotics, tricyclics, venlafaxine, trazodone, and duloxetine. When this enzyme is blocked, those psych meds will shoot to unusually high levels, causing lots of side effects. Two things can block it, drug interactions and a poor metabolizer status on a genetic test. In the case of codeine, blockage at 2D6, which happens in about 7% of people, causes the prodrug codeine to rise, and it doesn't get converted into morphine. So there's lots of codeine and no morphine. When that happens, patients get all the side effects of codeine, itching, nausea, headache, fatigue, and none of the pain relief. These patients report that as an allergy. By the way, a similar thing happens with the drug tramadol. But what happened when Elvis took the codeine? Well, we suspect that Elvis was one of the 7% of Caucasians who are poor metabolizers at CYP2D6. When Elvis died, codeine had barely converted to morphine. Codeine was 10 times the normal level in his body. It was the only drug above the normal level, and the codeine to morphine ratio was 36 codeines to 1 morphine. In contrast, none of the other eight controlled drugs in his systems were elevated at all, indicating that he took his medications as prescribed. And we know from his friends, Elvis took his medications very seriously. So what does this codeine toxicity mean? Well, some physicians think that codeine toxicity was the final straw that broke the singer's back. We dug into the science on this and we came up uncertain. Although most opioids can cause arrhythmias of the type that Elvis had by prolonging the QTC interval, it's not clear to us if the prodrug codeine also does this. All we could find was basic science research and that suggests that it does not. So we searched the literature looking for other reports of death in poor CYP2D6 metabolizers, and we found none. What we did find was the opposite, and this is a useful pearl. It's people who are ultra-rapid metabolizers at 2D6 who are rapidly converting that codeine into morphine, who are at pretty serious risk of death, from codeine because they convert it into morphine at an alarming rate, leading to sedation and respiratory depression. Ultra-rapid 2D6 is very rare, about three times more rare than poor metabolism. So you're not going to see it that much, and we don't know of any drug interactions that cause it about one in 50 people have ultra-rapid 2D6. And while there are many drug interactions that can slow down 2D6, like I said, we don't know of any that can speed it up. Now, all those drug interactions, the one that slow down 2D6, are among the most important to know about in psychiatry. For one thing, Those interactions are going to raise the levels of psych meds that pass through 2D6, which, in the case of tricyclics, can be fatal. And in another setting, it can make your patient look like a drug seeker. Imagine, if you're giving your patient a medicine that slows down 2D6, like acenopine, saphris, duloxetine, bupropion, and all of the SSRIs except the PRAMs, citalopram and escitalopram so you're slowing down their 2D6 and then the patient develops pain and is given codeine well they're not going to be able to activate the drug and they might start asking their doctor for higher and higher doses being mistaken thus as a drug seeker CYP2D6 is a critical metabolic pathway in psychiatry and Elvis's story brings us to a final pearl, a sort of poor man's genetic test. Here it is. If your patient reports an allergy to a pro-drug like codeine or tramadol, and you explore it, and it turns out they got no pain relief from the med, but lots of side effects, suspect poor 2D6 metabolism, or there was a drug interaction going on. As I said, about 1 in 12 Caucasians have this problem, and the rates are triple in Asians and in some Hispanic and African groups. If they have poor metabolism at 2D6, your patient is likely going to get lots of side effects on psychiatric meds as well, so go gingerly and check if you're giving them one that passes through that enzyme. Sometimes, It may even look like they have bipolar disorder because these patients tend to feel worse on antidepressants as the dose shoots to unnaturally high levels. We've taken you down a lot of rabbit holes, but where do we end up? Elvis Aaron Presley died on August 16, 1977 at the age of 42. And here's our best guess of how it all happened. Elvis had a genetic heart condition. Hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and as his heart enlarged, his risk of fatal arrhythmias rose. This dominant gene likely came from his mother's side, and consanguineous marriage in his maternal grandparents made its transmission more likely. Sure, Elvis leaned too heavily on controlled drugs and an uncontrolled diet, but his lifestyle also had virtues. He was physically active, and he steered clear of alcohol and nicotine which, arguably, are bigger killers than the former. Elvis' lifestyle might have caught up with him eventually, but unlikely at the age of 42. We don't think he died of a drug overdose or of a poor diet. And although we are unsure of codeine's contribution to arrhythmias, we can't ignore the fact that he took this medication within a few hours of his death. The bottom line? Elvis Presley died of cardiac arrest caused by an arrhythmia and a genetic defect, and the arrhythmia was possibly exacerbated by high levels of the codeine prodrug. End of story, at least for now.
0: A few weeks ago, we mentioned that Rhode Island is one of the states in the U.S. that reports the highest levels of stress, but we'd like to end this podcast in a happier place. For several years, the pollsters at Gallup have asked over 300,000 people how much they enjoy life and how stressed they feel. Year after year, one state got the top prize for low stress and high joy Hawaii, with Louisiana and Mississippi close behind. What do these three states have in common? They aren't wealthy, but they do have lots of stuff that money can't buy sunlight, water, festivities, and strong community and family bonds. Between Dr. Aiken and myself, we've lived in all three of them, and we can testify to that. Elvis brought joy to millions, maybe billions. He was born in Mississippi, started his career in Louisiana, and he loved spending time in Hawaii. He filmed three films and a concert special there. This year, Dr. Aiken and I spent our Christmas in Hawaii, in the hotel where Elvis filmed Blue Hawaii, and we got to see the last remaining Elvis impersonator in the state. In the middle of the concert, he walked down and hugged me. For a moment, it felt real, even if he couldn't shake his legs and gyrate his hips at the same time.
1: When we got back from that trip, we found out that Elvis's daughter, Lisa Marie Presley, recently died of a heart attack as well, this time at the age of 54. We don't know anything else about the cause of her death. But it was really that trip to Hawaii that inspired this podcast. And we hope that tying these medical facts with stories of the king. Will help you retain them. We'll end with one more that drives that point home. In 2015, a group of psychologists conducted a test of destination memory in older adults. Have you ever had an older patient who felt terribly embarrassed by their memory problems because they kept telling the same stories to people? That is a problem with destination memory. It is the memory of whom. You told something to. The study had older adults tell proverbs to pictures of faces, either unfamiliar faces or faces of celebrities, specifically Elvis Presley. Later, they were asked which face they had told the proverb to, and their recall was much sharper for proverbs that they had shared with the king. Anyway, man, for a while we had a breather of fresh energy to keep us from falling into the big sleep. Then before long, Elvis got assassinated in all the fame. Taking a long time to die, others seized control while Elvis rode the needle out, never understanding what he'd done. It's like we were the baby boom because life needed a fresher start. I mean, two world wars in a row is really crazy, man. And Elvis, even though he didn't know he said it, he showed it to us anyway. And even though we didn't know we heard it, we heard it anyway. Man like he woke us up. And now they're trying to put us back to sleep. So we'll see how it goes. That was from Baby Boom Shay by poet, songwriter and Native American activist John Trudell, and we're grateful to the John Trudell Foundation for granting us permission to use his work.
0: Earn your CME for this episode through the link in the show notes, or subscribe to the print journal online and get $30 off with the promo code podcast. Keep up with the latest research with Dr. Aiken's daily psych feed on LinkedIn and Twitter. Handle at ChrisAikenMD where he posts a new research study every day.